Welcome back to The BOMA, a podcast from the International Livestock Research Institute where we discuss how sustainable livestock is contributing to development efforts in the Global South. My name is Brenda Coromina. And I'm Elliot Carlton. We want to take some time before we start today's episode to thank Tim Ofeado, who recently completed his Princeton in Africa Fellowship with Ilry. Tim was instrumental in getting the podcast off the ground, and we would not be here with you today were it not for the great work he did over the course of the past year. Absolutely. Thank you, Tim. As we mentioned in a previous episode, Elliot and I are the new Princeton in Africa Fellows with Ilri and will be your hosts. Today, we are talking about animal source foods, basically meat, milk, and eggs. Why are they important to countries in the global south, and why should people around the world care? Coming from the U.S., I think that we're both familiar with the stigma attached to animal source foods, ethical and environmental. We have certainly seen a lot of controversy surrounding animal source foods recently. And a lot of that controversy originally comes from a 2006 FAO report called Livestock's Long Shadow. While that report was full of good information, it got condensed around the world to a single idea, that a cow in the backyard is as bad for the climate as an SUV. And ever since, there has been growing criticism of livestock and animal source foods, specifically of their environmental impact. Right. And 99% of that criticism comes from the developed world, whereas for many countries in the developing world and across Africa, livestock are fundamental to life. But a recent article in The Guardian, titled Criticism of Animal Farming in the West, Risks Health of World's Poorest, shows that not only is criticism of animal source foods often misguided, but it is actually potentially harmful to the hundreds of millions of people around the world who depend on livestock for their livelihoods and nutrition. That piece was written by two women of very different backgrounds who came together to address the controversy surrounding animal source foods from the perspective of the developing world, which is usually ignored. One of those authors is Dr. Laura Iannotti, a child and maternal nutrition specialist at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. She is the lead author of the 2021 United Nations Nutrition Report, and a part-time contributor to Ilri. So initially, actually, I um, really wanted to work on hunger, and that was um, unfortunately motivated by um, famine situations, which we see repeating itself right now in climate change, sadly. So drought situations that were um, causing a lot of severe famine in Ethiopia. So I started my career, I would say, in maternal and child nutrition, focused really more on hunger and food security. So now I sort of merged the two, public health and nutrition, as well as food security and hunger. Working alongside Laura Ayanati on that Guardian article was Dr. Emma Naluyima. She is a veterinarian by trade who took an interesting path to become an award-winning sustainable farmer on a one-acre mixed farm in Uganda. I get married and um, give birth to premature twins. And when I gave birth to premature twins, I stopped working as a vet. I had to sit home to look after my kids. And I'm a busybody, as in I can't sit anyway. So, and then uh, the cost of living was high. I needed to put food on my table. So I said, okay, wait a minute. I can do all these things. I can look after my twins while doing some farming because I have this 
land at my disposal. And that's how I started farming, really. While Laura Ayanati and Emma Naluyima come at animal source foods from very different positions, they're both committed to using their expertise to seek a more balanced and informed discussion of the different roles livestock and animal source foods have around the world today. One motivating factor behind their partnership was the COVID-19 pandemic, which has pushed global malnutrition to rates not seen in more than a decade. And another was the impact of the growing climate crisis, which is helping to fuel famines around the world. Given the devastating impact that climate change and the COVID-19 pandemic have had on global malnutrition, we asked Laura Iannotti what specific effects we are seeing. So I, for most of my career, I've worked on undernutrition. So populations where um, people don't get enough of certain foods or they they have um, deficiencies in certain nutrients. And that problem affects the problem I mostly focus on, which is stunted growth and development, brain development, um, affects about 144 to 149 million children around the world. And it's gotten, it's increased for the first time in history. It's increased again in COVID. So that's something really to pay attention to. About one in five children experience stunted growth. They don't grow to their full potential. Then there's, of course, the the problem that we're seeing in many places of overnutrition, not my area of expertise, but it's certainly a increasing problem globally. It's something we call nutrition transition. I see that at the overlap of these two problems under an overnutrition, something called hidden hunger, and that is experienced by communities around the world. And what exactly is hidden hunger? And that is where you have poor quality diets. And that's sort of central, again, to the theme of this podcast, which is people don't have access to high quality foods. They might live in a food desert in St. Louis, Missouri, where I am, or they might be very poor in a community I'm working in in Haiti and not be able to purchase fruit, vegetables or livestock derived foods, fish, for example. And that leads to nutrient deficiencies. So you have about 17 0.3% of the world experiencing zinc deficiencies. You have um, about a third of children around the world experiencing vitamin A deficiency. Then you have iodine deficiency, which is inexcusable from my point of view. We have the low-tech technology to, to, to iodize salt, and yet there's still people around the world who are iodine deficient. And then, of course, you have highly prevalent, again, in all countries around the world, iron deficiency. And this is, again, a lack of access to that bioavailable, rich, nutrient-dense foods that we need in our diet. So it's there are many problems yet to solve in nutrition, for sure. So poor quality diets and a lack of access to nutritious foods are behind global problems with undernutrition and hidden hunger. But as Dr. Ayanati said, many of these nutrition deficiencies are inexcusable because we have the tools necessary to address them. And she has done a lot of research into the nutritional benefits of animal source foods. So with animal source foods, what happens is in that diet, in that food matrix, you have a set of nutrients and bioactive compounds. And it's the way those nutrients are packaged in animal source foods that makes them highly bioavailable for the body. And when people don't have access to animal source foods, they're not getting these nutrients in very efficient ways. 
So vitamin A is the best example where you have in plant-based foods, carotenoids or beta carotene in carrots, for example, we all know about that. Whereas in animal source foods, it comes delivered as retinol. And you need approximately 12 times the amount of beta carotene to get to one equivalent retinol equivalent unit. So it's a, it's a highly inefficient way to get those nutrients. But in low resource settings, they have homogenous diets that are plant-based, not out of choice. And when you have a young child who has a very small stomach, they are unable to absorb efficiently the nutrients from a plant-sourced food. And that results in malnutrition, actually. So animal source foods are, are extremely important in certain phases of the life course for that reason, for the bioavailability of those nutrients. Okay, so it turns out that despite growing criticism in the developed world, for a significant portion of the world's malnourished people, animal source foods offer essential nutrients not readily available in plant-based alternatives. Right. And the high concentration of essential nutrients in animal source foods also makes them highly valuable at specific stages of life, including early childhood, adolescence, pregnancy, and lactation. Exactly. But even with the nutritional benefits of animal source foods, I would guess that many of our listeners are saying, okay, but what about the fact that livestock are a significant source of greenhouse gases and have contributed to the destruction of tropical rainforests and other natural areas? Without doubt, we need to be focusing on the food systems globally in terms of, you know, the contribution it's making to greenhouse gas emissions, losses in biodiversity. These are really important issues, and the food system and food production is fundamental to some of the, those environmental assaults. So my work is, is absolutely taking into consideration sustainable, healthy diets because we can't ignore this problem any longer. So it's a complicated world right now, and we need to solve these problems. There's no question. And, and make sure that there's equity and balance in the approaches that we take. And there's some very creative approaches there that use these mixed systems that are not just about, you know, factory farming of animals but rather have livestock integrated, like Dr. Emma's farm, into the cultivation practices. Um, so those mixed systems are, are critical. Okay, I keep pigs on my farm on one quarter of an acre. And on this quarter, when I keep pigs, the pigs will produce the dung. Dr. Emma Naluyima again, the award-winning farmer from Uganda who employs those sustainable, nature-positive approaches to livestock farming that Dr. Ayanadi sees as crucial to a sustainable global food system. I play with this dung for many, in, in so many ways. So even like what I do here, many people will be like, no, 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 I can't touch maggots. Oh, no, I can't do this. But this is what they, we, we do. So first, we get this dung and introduce it to flies, house flies, or the black soldier flies, and they feed on this dung. So as they're feeding on the dung, they are degrading the dung, and then we feed the animals, like the chickens and the fish, on the maggots or the larvae stage. That is one part. And then after, when we've collected the larvae stage from the dung, we still use the same dung we introduce earthworms in it. 
So these earthworms will still continue to biodegrade the dung. And when they do that, the dung later turns into soil. And this is the soil we shall use or we always use to grow our vegetables. This is the soil we use to grow anything we have at our disposal. So livestock actually play a fundamental role in growing the fruits, vegetables, and everything else on her farm. So the pig dung is gold to me. So I'll play with the pig dung to make the maggots and earthworms. And then I'll play with the, the cow dung to make biogas. Okay, so in the process, I'm not going to cut down trees. I'm not going to buy charcoal because charcoal comes from cutting down trees. And in the process, by the way, I will have already worked on the carbon footprint. And then I don't have this land. I'm like, okay, I don't have this land, but I have this. I can do hydroponics. So I will use hydroponics to grow three quarters of the food, but my pigs and cows need to eat. So basically, that's what I do. And then I'll still play with the water that comes from the fish. I'll use the same water to irrigate my plants, either the vegetables or the matoke. So basically, that's a cycle. One thing leads to another. One feeds into another. Emma Naluyima's farm is a great example of how important livestock are in an integrated farming system, where outputs from livestock are inputs for the rest of the farm and nothing goes to waste. But as we know, not all farms are like Emma Naluyima's. Integrated farming is the way to go. 70 to 80% of what we earn, we spend it on food. And it's very important. If you don't have food, this is a basic at the base of the pyramid. If you don't have food, then you can't do anything beyond that. You can't, you can't think. You start being a menace in the country you, to your neighbors. So food, food, food is very, very important. So Whichever way we can to teach and train people how to put food on their table or on their plate, that's good to go. So policies around putting food on people's table and making sure they get money out of the little space they have, that's okay. So at the local and national levels, governments should be implementing policies that promote integrated or mixed farming systems which allow smallholder farmers to make the most out of small plots of land. But it is also important for all people, not just farmers, to better understand where their food comes from. You see, even in America, whereby kids don't know where food comes from, they think food is in the refrigerator, they think, yeah, it's at the supermarket, but then we are we already old. What happens to the young children? What do they know? What are they going to do? So... We go as far as we should go as far as we shouldn't stop maybe in parliament or on old people. We have to go as far as the the young children to make sure they also know the touch base with the food. They know where it comes from, how to cook it, how to grow it. Once we do policies and we do things that can enable these kids touch base with the soil, where food comes from, that way they'll be better citizens and they will learn how to care for the environment anyway. And I think Emanalu Yima's point about becoming better global citizens also means working to understand the growing gap between the developed and developing worlds. That disconnect is part of what makes animal source foods such a contentious topic. Despite all the benefits animal source foods provide, especially to those in the developing world, they continue to receive growing criticism from people in the developed world. 
We were puzzled by how to overcome this apparent disconnect between the developed and developing worlds. So we spoke to Susan McMillan. She has worked with Ilry for more than 30 years and continues to do advocacy work for Ilry as an emeritus fellow. We asked her what we can all do to reorient our perspective on livestock so that we not only see the risks associated with livestock, but also their tremendous benefits to millions of people around the world. There's a lot we can do. What I would do is to ask everyone to keep a worldly view. If everyone could have in their brain the different worlds at the same time, then I think our decisions, our choices, etc., would be much fairer, not just more equitable. If we could manage that to be more global in our outlooks, we would probably be more innovative and get faster solutions to these problems, which is what we need as we hit the planetary boundaries, as we are hurting our environment and we are creating global warming. We need to act fast and we need everyone's ideas. And everyone, as my boss at Ilri, Shirley Terry Wally, always says, everyone is coming from a different starting point. If we could just remember that, then I think no one would say we should get rid of a billion livelihoods. I think we we would say no one should get rid of all industrial systems because some of them are working very well and feeding people well and treating animals well. What we should do is look at everything on a case-by-case basis and get them more efficient, more environmentally friendly, and more equitable. And that would be my dream future for livestock. And that future, one in which livestock contribute to a healthier, more environmentally sustainable, and more equitable world, is a future we can all get behind. And if we can all work to cultivate that global perspective, then I think we would start to realize that as we are faced with all these complex global issues, we should really see livestock as part of the solution, not the problem. Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to leave off for today. Thank you so much to Dr. Laura Ayanati, Dr. Emma Naluyima, and Susan McMillan for sharing their time and expertise. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope that you will leave us a review. And please don't forget to subscribe. We will catch you next time on The BOMA. I'm Elliot Carlton. And I'm Brenda Coromina.